Kirby, Congressman Andy Biggs seeks a safe border and reduced spending. Holocaust survivor Edwin Mossberg and country music's next, Cody Webb performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now... Oh, I love it when we have a great audience like we do here tonight. Thank you so very much for joining us. Hey, this week as the nation somberly and soberly remembered the horrific terrorist attacks of 9-11 some 18 years ago, the New York Times, once a legitimate newspaper nicknamed the Gray Lady and the Paper of Record, said that it was a day in which airplanes took aim and brought down the World Trade Center. Now, that kind of idiotic abuse of words is why I often call that paper the New York Slimes. <laughs> Folks. <laughs> airplanes don't take aim. Airplanes don't have brains that give them the moral judgment to fly into fully occupied buildings to murder over 3,000 people in cold blood. Airplanes only do what people direct them to do. And on that day, Islamic radicals hijacked the planes and they used the planes as weapons. And that the New York Times couldn't bring itself to say that Islamic terrorists took aim at the World Trade Center is a good reason that its credibility is worthless and its influence is about as significant as leftover salad. Now. <laughs> It's the same type of argument that we hear from them and other gun control advocates that we need to get rid of guns because the guns killed people. Actually, people killed people. Guns were perhaps the weapon, yes. But, but a person had to pull the trigger. And so the bigger and more complicated question is why did a person use the gun to kill other people? And if the gun hadn't been available, would the person have used a bomb, a knife, or maybe a truck filled with explosives such as happened in the Oklahoma City bombing? Now, we didn't ban airplanes after 9-11 or restrict how much fuel they could carry in their tanks or limit the size of planes to small propeller-driven planes. We turned our focus on the people who concocted and carried out the cowardly attack on innocent civilians. Now, there is no single answer as to why some people become mass murderers. There just isn't. The shooter in El Paso appeared to be an extreme racist who hated Hispanic people. And as it turned out, he also hated Donald Trump as well. But the shooter in Dayton, Ohio was a far left liberal. He supported Elizabeth Warren. The media tried to falsely tie the El Paso shooter to President Trump, but ignored the Dayton shooter's love of Elizabeth Warren because the narrative they want to portray is that the only people committing mass murder are young white males who are right-leaning racists who somehow are influenced by President Trump. The common denominator of the shooters is hate, whether it's fueled by mental illness or not. And many of these deranged individuals are on some type of psychotropic drug. Most of the proposals push to do something by politicians and activists. They're always aimed at restricting or punishing the very people who have broken no laws and pose no threat to society. Hey, I'm all for any measure that can be proven to lessen mass murder. But we've already got laws that prohibit mass murder, or any murder for that matter. So why don't we just tell all the potential mass murderers they can't do that? <laughs> Let's solve it. I'll tell you why, because a criminal doesn't respect the laws we have. It's absurd to think that he or she will respect the laws that we create. At some point, we need to address the deeper problem, which isn't the weapon, but the godless world that we have created that has devalued human life, destroyed self-respect and respect of others, and has given people a sense of emptiness and no fear of being held accountable to God or to others for their actions of destructions. Folks, we can blame, 
We can blame and ban planes or guns, or we can look inward and try to reconnect the creation with the Creator and reconcile sinners with a Savior. But the New York Times will never tell us that that is an answer. My next guest represents the 5th District of Arizona. Now, you've seen him a lot on TV, but you're going to be seeing him even more as he's a member of the House Judiciary Committee, and he just got appointed the new chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, following Mark Meadows of North Carolina into that leadership role. Please welcome to our show a true champion of conservatives, Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Congressman, it is a delight to have you. And let's talk first about the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, probably the single most influential caucus within uh, House Republicans. So what is the primary thing you hope the Freedom Caucus can help steer the House to do? Well, I think that we need to continually remind people of the conservative conscience that they all have. They all have it, but they sometimes forget it. So that's one of the big things we can do. And we can make sure in particular that as we're working with the Freedom Caucus, and we're moving this forward, that we can get our leaders, uh, make sure that they remember that conservative conscience too. I mean, that's the heart of the American people. I still believe we're a right center people. Uh, we're conservative at heart, regardless of the party. But we can help guide that, and that's what I hope we continue to do. I am convinced that uh, a lot of the inquiries into the scandals at the Department of Justice and FBI would never have gotten where they are had it not been for members of the Freedom Caucus uh, being relentless on behalf of the American people. And I, and I want to emphasize on behalf of the American people. Now, Congressman, you're on the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, right now, the chairman of that committee, Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York, is just determined to pursue an impeachment against the president. And I scratch my head and I'm wondering, impeachment for what? Fill us in. There's nothing there to impeach this president on. And what this is, is uh, getting back to their disappointment, their aggravation that Hillary Clinton didn't win. And they just can't believe that Donald Trump is our president. They can't get over it. And the rest of the nation is saying, move on. And what the, this administration has done is fantastic. And I think there's so much headroom for us to do even more, but they're really throwing speed sticks down because they want to get him for personal reasons as much as political reasons. But a question, is Nadler gonna bring Andrew McCabe, the former uh, FBI associate director, is he gonna bring him in for an interview? Are we gonna see James Comey come in for an interview? Is this only to go after the people who are with President Trump? Or is there gonna be a legitimate attempt to find out what in the world happened during the 2016 election. They don't care really what happened in the 2016 election, but for the parts that they want to try and uh, impute something on President Trump or his colleagues, his campaign, they just don't want to get at the real truth. And that's why we continue with this uh, kind of fantasy land approach. It's it's, I mean, look, if I can just take one second to tell you, they're not even talking obstruction of justice anymore. The resolution that they, they presented to us as a committee this week didn't use the word obstruction, it used the word thwart. And the word thwart has nothing to do with, there's no legal definition of thwart like there is with obstruction. So now he's thwarting something. And it just shows how unfocused they are on the reality um, because they're consumed with this uh, vitriolic and uh, chaotic attempt to impeach this president. You live on the border, being an Arizona congressman. Uh, probably there's no one among the Republican caucus who, are, uh, who has a better handle on what open borders would mean to America. This president has tried to say we cannot have open borders, but every single Democrat on the stage basically have embraced that view. Why is that dangerous to America, and why should the rest of the country care, regardless of whether they're Democrats or Republicans? The reality is, if as long as we have this policy coming, uh, being evinced by the, uh, by the Democrats, what you're going to get is the incentives to come across. What did we see just a few months ago because of all the incentives that the Democrats have? You saw an overrunning, and the reason I mention that is because when you talk about what is the impact 
When you look at 145,000 apprehensions in a single month, and you look at the, the criminality of people that came across, I'm not saying all these people were criminals, but the fact of the matter is there are some criminals amongst them. We see what happened in Baltimore where you had seven illegal uh, aliens attack individuals over the last uh, few weeks. This is what can happen. It changes the very nature and tenor, tenor of this country, and it also impacts the, the um, economy, so it impacts jobs. So no less a person than, uh, uh, she's no, she's no uh, conservative than Barbara Jordan said, look, this impacts the minority's ability to get jobs. So it has a tremendous societal and economic impact on this country. Um, and you know what, if we're a nation of rule of law, this is the undermining of the very notion of the rule of law which made the United States different than any other country because we've said everybody's uh, uh, subject to the rule of law but apparently if you're an illegal alien you are not subject to the rule of law. Congressman, I know we're out of time but I gotta ask one last question. Supreme Court, big decision this week upholding President Trump's asylum uh, restrictions. Yeah. Is that a big deal for border protection? Absolutely that's a big deal. The, that program in and of itself is going to keep literally tens of thousands of people, uh, uh, disincentivize them from coming across. That's a huge win for the Trump administration and a huge win for the United States of America. Well, Congressman Andy Biggs has been with us. And if you want to see a balanced budget, a safe border, as well as fair and legal immigration, which I think we're all for that, please follow Congressman Biggs. Now, these are just a few of the important issues that he's fighting for us for all of us in Washington. And you can learn more on his website, bigs.house.gov. Also, follow him on Twitter at RepAndyBiggsAZ for Arizona. Remember, last name is spelled B-I-G-G-S. It is also on your screen, so jot it down and follow this guy and pray for him as he takes over the reins of the Freedom Caucus, and we're so glad he did. All right, Keith, it's time to tantalize our viewers with the rest of tonight's lineup, so you take it away. Well, coming up, Holocaust survivor Edward Mossberg's incredible life story. Then a California teacher takes on Goliath. Plus the ear-perking sound effects of Joe Saban. It's all here on Huckabee. My next guest has one of the most incredible life stories you're ever going to hear. From surviving the Krakow ghetto, the Plazow camp, made famous in the movie Schindler's List that you've seen, as well as surviving the Matthausen and Lenz concentration camps during the Holocaust. Now, he went from there to accompanying the president to the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Quite a spectrum. It is an honor to welcome Edward Mossberg. Edward, so grateful to have you here. Thank you. These people love you, Edward. Yours is an amazing story. Tonight you wear the kind of garment that you wore as someone in one of the worst camps that the Nazis put together, Matthausen. You're now 93 years old. You've lived through a lot. Uh, but it, it's hard to imagine that you survived what you survived. Most of your family were murdered by the Nazis, weren't they? My grandparents were murdered in one camp. My father was shot right in the beginning. My mother was taken to, to the Auschwitz gas chambers. My two sisters <coughs> were shot with seven other thousand women by the Baltic Sea with a machine gun, and the following day was, was liberation. And you survived Mauthausen. In Mauthausen, we were carrying a the 186 steps, and you were carrying the boulders up and down from early in the morning till in the afternoon. If you stop, they shoot you, or on the top of the mountain, they have like a parachute wall, they called it, and anybody go there, they were pushing them off the mountains to their death. 
I was there and I'm a witness to it. And, and I testify. How did you have just the will to keep on day after day of that kind of horrible treatment, slave labor? I, I really don't know. Only one thing that I know that I now, I go and talk because I lost my whole family. Okay, so I have to go and talk because in Belzec, I lost 16 members of my family. Mm. When I walked through that quiet place, I could hear the cries of my family and the 600,000 Jews that were murdered there. Don't forget us. Mm. How can we forget and forgive? Only the dead can forgive. This is a picture of your family. You can talk about it firsthand. You, you wear that which was put on you during that horrendous time. Does it shock you that there are people, even today, who deny the Holocaust? Well, I would like to meet the guy, you know where? In Mauthausen, on top of the quarry, hmm. where, from where they were pushing the man. I would hold his hand and I would jump with him together. <laughs> what is this? Is this what was used on people like you? Yes, I was once beaten by four men. I was laying on the ground, they were kicking me, and then they had a bottle of water, and they tried to put my head into it to drown me. Mm. But I survived. I survived so many times the death that you cannot even tell you how many times. I was once by two SS. One hit me, I fell down to the ground, and the other one took the rifle to shoot me, okay, and he... The other one knocked out his rifle out of his hand. Oh. I mean, many times I faced death. And God. I faced death beside this. When I survived, I was sick with tuberculosis of bones and lungs. And the doctor said, I'll not live long. And I beat it. I'd say you have. Yes. I'd say you have, yeah. At 93. And now, Governor, now, I just had a, last year I had a cancer in three or four different places, and now they make a test on me, and they find that the cancer spread to my liver, to my bladder, and to my lungs. But I will beat this too, because <laughs> I have to go and talk and talk. If anybody will do it. Edward, I have no doubt about you being able to do it. There is something I find fascinating. You go through this, you, you have nothing. Your family is all murdered by the Nazis. You miraculously survive. I have to believe God intervened in your life. You and your wife met. You came to the United States after World War II with all of $10 and the clothes on your back. That's it. $10. And I, I, I want to just say, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or embarrass you. No. You, you're a wealthy man. This country's been pretty good to you, hasn't it? Yes. Yes. Well. And I always say, God bless America. <laughs> and one other thing I find amazing to you, about you, you come to this country, survive the Holocaust. How special was it to be at the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem? You and I were both there. I saw you there. Yes. What was that kind of moment to say, I survived the Holocaust. I'm now in the Jewish state of Israel that the Nazis tried to make sure would never happen. And I'm standing as the embassy is being declared in the ancient capital of Jerusalem. I was very proud of it, especially because you was there too. Hmm. Well, it was a joy, an electric occasion to say the least. Edward, your story. Can I say yes, one more thing? Please. They talk, who is guilty for the Holocaust? Mm. I blame the, the German nation because if they would not vote for Hitler at that time, there would be no Nazi, there would be no Holocaust. Mm. Okay? And one more thing. If President Truman would be at, uh, President Trump would be at that time, he would bomb the crematoriums, he would bump the, the railroad tracks leading and try to save many millions of people. So God bless. 
President Trump, and God bless United States, and God bless you, all of you, and thank you for listening to me. And God bless Edward Mossberg. I want to express our deepest appreciation to Edward Mossberg for being with us, sharing his harrowing and inspiring story. We must never forget the Holocaust. We must never allow anything like it again. Bless you, sir. Keith, you go ahead and tell us what we have coming up. Now, laugh along news on In Case You Missed It. Then, Rebecca Friedrichs fights for her students. And later, country music's Cody Webb sings right here on Huckabee. From a 700-pound alligator in Georgia to inventions that you will never use, we've got the news that will make you say, please, don't, stop, on the segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, Tesla claims their newest self-driving car technology is safer than letting a human drive. Apparently, that's not setting the bar very high. <laughs> Check out this video taken by a man who spotted the Tesla zipping down the Massachusetts Turnpike with the driver and the front seat passenger both slumped forward and passed out sound asleep. The guy honked his horn to try to wake him up, but no response. The video shooter called it a strange and baffling sight, but we'll all have to get used to it if self-driving cars take over. But, you know, if you think about it, any car is a self-driving car, if you don't really care. <laughs> uh, Governor, Governor, wait just a minute. You know, you, you took me back. You made me remember an early moment with my dad when I just learned how to drive. You know how oh, yeah? exciting that was. He told me to wash the car with my little brother, and I, I thought about it a minute, and I asked him, could I use a sponge instead? Keith, I have no response. I really don't. But your story reminds me of the time that my friend in Arkansas gave up his seat on a bus to someone who was blind. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I thought it was. It was a wonderful gesture, but it was also that guy's last day working as a bus driver. Oh. <laughs> and this whole Tesla car story and being here in Music City, well, it gets me wondering, with all these self-driving vehicles, I mean, how long is it going to be before someone writes a song about a jilted guy's truck leaving him, too, huh? <laughs> And there are those of us who hunt, those of us who fish, and those of us, like my own daughter, Sarah, who take a tougher challenge, like alligators. That is Sarah in the picture, right there on the alligator in the middle that she actually took down in Louisiana while at a political fundraiser. Now, as successful as Sarah has been, she's not come anywhere close, however, to a fellow from Georgia named Derek Snelson. Mr. Snelson set a state record recently by landing a 700-pound, 14-foot-long gator. That's a small dinosaur. Derek said he knew this was no ordinary alligator on his line when it took him and four other hunters over five hours to bag the giant reptile. Sounds like by making all of those hunters fight, he was a real instigator. By the way, cheer the one about the man who walked into a bar with his alligator and asked, hey, do you serve lawyers here? Sure, the bartender said. Well, good. One beer for me and a lawyer for my alligator. <laughs> okay, moving on. Finally tonight, a gentleman named Matt Benedetto has to be one of the most unique product designers on the planet. He likes to invent solutions for problems that don't even exist. So you can follow his work on Instagram at Unnecessary Inventions. I want to show you just a few examples of his creativity. For instance, Mr. Benedetto has created a cup holder, but you place it on your steering wheel. <laughs> and there's things like his croc gloves and face curtain for secret eating. Governor, yeah. I, I, I'm, I mean, I got to take this out. I think he's 
great innovator. I want you to take a look at this. That baguette backpack. That's, that's one of his ideas. <laughs> Goes great with the Huckabee. I mean, that's cool and everything, but this governor is very, very sleek. What have you got? Yeah. Yes, it is the fanny pack pizza pocket fanny pack. Yeah. Don't laugh till you've Sit. tried it. It's very convenient. You want a slice, Gov? It's delicious. Oh, uh, that's great. Hey, I'm pretty sure I'm passing on both of those wonderful, innovative products. Maybe I've been a little too quick to judge his inventions as useless, however, because I was thinking of giving some politicians I know a pair of his tear rings for a gift this Christmas. To wipe your tears. Wipe your tears. You see that with tear rings. You got it? Okay. You can discover Matt Benedetto's latest inventions at unnecessaryinventions.com. Not that you will want to, but you will be thoroughly entertained and incredibly impressed. Well, just like a kamikaze pilot on assignment, we've run out of time. And by the way, why did the kamikaze pilot even wear a helmet anyway? <laughs> but we really have run out of time. But always remember, we read the news. <laughs> well, Keith, anyone with their own personal baguette backpack must surely know what's ahead on this program, so I'm gonna let you take over from here and tell us. I'm gonna eat a baguette. Up next, California teacher Rebecca Friedrichs takes on a powerful union. Then the sounds and comedy of Joe Sima and country music hotshot Cody Webb sings Welcome back. My next guest is a longtime teacher who was shocked to learn how teachers' unions operate and how little students matter to them. She's got a brand new book and it's called Standing Up to Goliath. It tells the story of her landmark Supreme Court case that ended forced unionizing for public school teachers all over the country. Please welcome a real courageous lady, Rebecca Fredericks. Rebecca, welcome. Fredericks. Well, it sure looked like Fredericks to me, <laughs> but you know how to pronounce your name. That's right. So we'll get it Fredericks right. Did you just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to just take on the teachers' unions in California, no less. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a great idea? Yeah. Actually, it was God hmm. that brought me into this battle. I was sitting at the table in the morning doing my morning Bible study with Beth Moore, this yeah. particular study, and Beth asked a question. Is there something the Lord's been asking you to do? Mm. and you have not obeyed him because, for whatever reason. I knew what it was. I was supposed to be writing for publication and I was supposed to be exposing the teachers unions because they were controlling our schools in a culture of fear, doing things harmful to children with my money. So I prayed on it for three solid days. Mm. The Lord led me to the widow's might. That story where Jesus points out this widow and he says to his disciples, that widow just gave two mites which is like two pennies. Yeah. And he said she gave more than all the wealthy because she gave in her faith, she gave in her nothingness. Mm. So what he said to my heart was, Rebecca, I'm just asking you to give you two mites. I'll do the rest, newspapers are my problem. So I answered the question, Lord, I will give you my writing for your glory. So I started writing editorials and within six months, I was lead plaintiff in a federal lawsuit suing the National Education Association and the California Teachers Association, whom I just wanted to expose in a story. I, I think what's significant is that these teachers unions were taking large amounts of money from the paychecks of teachers involuntarily. That's right. So teachers didn't have a choice. That money was confiscated out to be a part, not to help education, but to fund left-wing politics to, to support abortion, yep. to support things that you didn't believe in. Now, if people want to believe in them and they want to support those things, that they, they should have the freedom to do that. That's right. But you were not given the freedom. That was really the crux of, of what this was all about. That's right. It's a First Amendment issue. We were forced to fund the demise 
of my Judeo-Christian virtues. They not only are supporting abortion, they're supporting every left, far left, divisive issue in this country. They are the ones marching for sanctuary cities and to abolish ICE. All kinds of things that are far out of the jurisdiction of a labor union. Well, and what does that have to do with education and, it, and helping children? I guess that's what it, a lot of us are asking. The only reason the schools in America are failing is teachers unions, period. Mm. They are the ones fighting against uh, school choice. They are the ones bringing in these horrific discipline policies where you cannot um, suspend children for, for a willful defiance. And so teachers are now in crisis. Children are not learning. You know, it's not rocket science. If, if teachers and parents could just get back together and, and take care of the kids and the teachers unions would get the heck out, everybody would be fine. Mm. You tell a story that I thought was very powerful. You were teaching in a classroom. Next to you was a teacher who was basically bullying kids. That's right. And when you called attention to it, it wasn't that that teacher got fired. You got reprimanded because how dare you try to get a teacher in trouble. The unions protected that teacher instead of protecting the child. Exactly. That exact story happened when I was a student teacher. I was 22. It was 1987. I was terrified of that woman. And those children she was manhandling were six years old. They came up to her waist. It was mm. disgusting. And my master teacher is the one who told me, it's the teachers unions who defend these teachers and there's nothing we can do about it. I watched with my own eyes while that woman continued to teach and abuse children until she chose to retire. That was 100% the fault of teachers unions and I think that's wrong. And, and I wanna make clear to our audience that what the teachers union role is, cause you know, it sounds like, oh, the teachers union did that. But the teachers union through its collective bargaining and through its tenure that it negotiates means you can't touch that teacher, you can't fire that teacher, and even if they say the teacher can't teach, they still have to pay that teacher. New York has hundreds of people who are on their payroll who haven't been in the classroom in years. They go to what they call the rubber rooms, and they sit, they show up, and they sit in a room, and they get full pay, but they don't teach anymore, yeah. but they can't fire them. Exactly. It's crazy. Exa it's insane and it's wasting all these taxpayer dollars that belong to children so that we can educate children, bring in maybe some teacher's aides to, to help teachers like myself with struggling kids. And you know what's really shocking? Teachers think that they need the unions because the unions are gonna protect them, give them liability insurance. Mm -hmm. But they protect these types of teachers that you're talking about. But I have watched personally as one of the best teachers I know paid her dues for 26 years. She was fired in three days over a false claim. And the teachers unions told her, she said, where's my million dollars in liability coverage? And they said, oh, we only cover you if you're sued. Oh, that'll be 100,000. If you have 100,000, we'll defend you. They did not defend her. One of the best teachers I know lost her job. 26 years of paying in and still didn't get anything. Yep. So you filed a case first against the California Teachers Association and then ultimately the NEA. This goes all the way to the Supreme Court, which in itself is just an amazing thing. You say a prayer, the next thing you know, and nine justices up there deciding the case. How did it go? So oral arguments were amazing. Our case was heard on January 11th, 2016. Everyone. Even the New York Times admitted that we won. Hmm. The teachers won. What were we suing for? An end to forced unionism. We just wanted teachers to be able to decide for ourselves without fear or coercion whether or not to fund these unions. And we knew we won. But then a tragedy occurred. One month after our case was heard, Justice Scalia tragically died. Hmm. He had been our swing vote. We had convinced him. We all knew in the courtroom he was on our side. So we ended up getting a four to four tie. And you know, we actually filed for a rehearing. And the justices sort of led us on for about eight weeks. We thought they were gonna take it. They denied it on my birthday that year. Mm. <laughs> and so we ultimately lost. But remember that widow's might. The Lord said to me, and I don't hear voices by the way, it just speaks in my heart. He just said, Rebecca, keep giving your two mites. And so, I started writing the book. I started interviewing teachers and 
about four dozen different teachers share their stories of union abuse and expose the unions in this book. They all got brave because huh. of our case. And another case came behind my case, a case called Janice. And I asked the Lord, this sounds so silly, but I literally asked the Lord, Lord, could you please let Janice win on my birthday? It was her, <laughs> I, I really did. I mean, you know, he gives sweet gifts. Yeah. He really does. He adores us. And so the case was heard in uh, February 2018. And I wrote in that book, in the last chapter, I wrote that Janice won on my birthday, even though he hadn't won in it and, or anything. And I told my publisher, if it doesn't happen, I'll, I'll change it before we go to print. <laughs> uh -huh. But in faith, I wrote, and do you want to know the Janice case won on my birthday. That's pretty amazing, Rebecca. You have freed up hundreds of thousands of teachers in this country by having the guts to go out there and fight Goliath. And that's what the book is about, standing up to Goliath. Let me say, if you care about your kids' education and you want to learn how to protect them and support good teachers, visit fourkidsandcountry.org. That's fourkidsandcountry.org. You can get the book, Standing Up to Goliath, right there at that website. And also connect on Facebook at Four Kids and Country and on Twitter at Four Kids and Country. Rebecca, what a joy to have you here. Thank you for your courage. Well, Keith Bilby, he really got a good education, but he ended up here anyway. But he's waiting to tell you all what's next. So, Keith, let us in on it. Well, next up, sound effects comedian Joe Saber, then country music star Cody Webb sings right here on Huckabee. staying with us and you'll want to. Now, if you have ever dreamed of going to Israel and walking where Jesus walked, why don't you stop dreaming and go with me next March? There is a place for you if you act now. Go to thegreatesttrip.com. That's thegreatesttrip.com. You can learn more about the Israel experience. It is life-changing. Well, my next guest started out on stage when he was just five years old and continued as an adult entertaining fellow troops when he wasn't flying combat missions in Desert Storm. Since then, he's appeared everywhere, from Jay Leno's Tonight Show to America's Got Talent. I guarantee you have never heard a comedian quite like him. Would you please welcome the very funny Joe Saba. One, 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 two, um, one mile out, 600 lots, 500 feet. Roger, I got you inside. As you can hear, I like to do sound effects. <laughs> uh, I was born with the ability to memorize a sound and duplicate it with my mouth. For example, a gunshot with a ricochet. <laughs> Well, as, thank you. Well, as time would have it, I grew up, I joined the military, I flew as a navigator co-pilot in helicopters in Germany. Now, when I was living over there, I never got used to the four-cylinder cars, you know, you, I thought to myself, boy, I sure could use a V8. So, so I ordered a V8 Trans Am from America and I had it shipped over to Bremerhaven, Germany. Yeah. So, 
In the military over in Germany, you get in all kinds of trouble if you get a ticket. So there just happened to be this rusty old diesel truck on the side of the road. <laughs> Climbed up into the diesel cab, and guess what? The keys were in it. Now I ran around to the trailer. There just happened to be a dozen horses in the trailer. So I ran through the trailer and found a horse that had the keys in it. Small airport up ahead, but I'm gonna have to jump a creek to get there. Found a, a little airplane, single engine. I had to uh, see if it had the keys in it, and of course it did. Clear! farmer's field, spoke just enough German to borrow his speed bike and ride to the nearest train station. <laughs> Went in, bought a ticket southbound on the next train. to jump off. <laughs> I found myself engaged in a three-day battle. my buddies taking me back. They stopped by, picked me up, took me back to base, and this is what I heard when we landed. <laughs> to this day, they're still looking for me, and there's a rusty Trans Am on the side of a German highway with the keys in it. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Joe Saber, how'd you get into this? Well, um, as a kid, my parents never told me to shut up. <laughs> I was uh, the youngest of seven and uh, wanted to be heard, I guess. And uh, I liked things that moved, uh, planes, trains, automobiles, and other things, and uh, just started doing it. Now, have you ever used some of these sound effects in movies? Have you ever been asked to do that? I, I have. Um, I'm a Foley artist, which is a Foley actor. I watch the film and then do the footsteps and jingle the keys or whatever at the time <laughs> it needs to be taken. That's all recorded in Dolby stereo in a studio. And then uh, there have been times where they didn't have a voice of like a dog, Dinky's voice on Wishbone, the PBS series. <laughs> And so I had to put that in there. <laughs> so I got, I got a cred, credit for Dinky's voice. <laughs> and then uh, in, in real life, uh, I was in college, and uh, a lady, I, I was walking out of a pizza joint, and a lady said, stop him, he's got my purse. And she was chasing uh, an assailant with her purse, and the husband was catching up to him. And uh, he grabbed him. The purse went flying, unfortunately. And the assailant pulled out a gun and put it in the guy's chest. And I was from here to you. I was that close. And I used to do a 120 decibel police car, police car siren. And that was the only thing I could think to do. So I did the police car siren, and he looked up, and he ran away without firing a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so you saved the day with saved. your... 
with your sound effects. Well, I like to think I did. I don't know of anybody else on earth who can do what you do, so you've got to be back on the stage. You bet. Thank you can you so see much. a lot more of the very funny Joe Saba and even book him and his clean comedy for an event that you might be having for your company, corporation, or community. Go to joesabaentertainment.com. That's joesabaentertainment.com right on your screen. I want to see if Keith can tell us what's next, and I want to see if he can do it while sounding like a subway. That's your cue, Joe. Help me out here. Next, country music's Cody Webb sings right here on Huckabee. I'm so glad you've stuck with us because my next guest is the new kid in town in Nashville, Tennessee. After moving here from his home state of South Carolina, he writes and records music that's inspired by traditional country and southern rock. His debut sing uh, single called She's Carolina, which he's going to be playing later on the show tonight, has gained over a million views online. I predict this young man is going to be a superstar. He's got a phenomenal voice and a Great, great person. We're delighted to have here today, Cody Webb. Cody, welcome. Hey. So thank nice you. to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. What is amazing, I mean, you're doing music, but you've got an engineering degree from Clemson. <laughs> I mean, did you go to school saying, I'm gonna get an engineering degree because I wanna be a country music star? <laughs> you know, I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew they, they did well starting out and uh, you know, luckily I haven't had to take a derivative since then, though. It kind of kept kept me sane. I was in the library during the week and playing shows on the weekend at Clemson. So, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully I never have to take another derivative. You know. Let's talk about the, the influences. Your mother was a, a minister of music in a church, and your dad was a musician. So I guess it sort of came naturally. I guess so. Uh, you know, I grew up in a small town of Ridge Spring, South Carolina, and uh, my mom was a music minister at Ridge Spring Baptist Church. So uh, every chance. She got, she'd had me singing in church on Sunday. And uh, my dad uh, was in a local band and, and they played festivals and fairs around there. And um, I started uh, playing with them when I was 12 years old and learned a lot from the guitar players in that band and uh, started trying to write songs when I was a teenager and um, just, just kept going from there, I guess. So. Was there an inspiration? Was there a real person behind the song, She's Carolina? Or is that something, if you tell me, you gotta kill me? Uh, yeah, not, not at all. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, when I moved here, I was, I was missing South Carolina in a lot of ways and uh, I was writing with a girl named Tamara Stewart from Australia. She's been here for a few years and she's written a bunch of hits in Australia. And uh, we were trying to figure out what to write, and she said, you need to write a song about where you're from, mate. And I said, <laughs> I said, uh, how, how was that? So, That's pretty so, good. <laughs> so, so I said, she said, where are you from? And I said, South Carolina, and she's never even been there. And uh, we, we started writing a song about my home state. So that's, that's kind of how it started. Your career is on its way. I, I, I don't know where the top is, but I expect we're gonna see Cody Webb sitting up there real <laughs> soon. And I'm excited about it. Thrilled you're here. Now, as Cody gets ready to perform, Keith is going to be telling us how you can get more of Cody Webb's music. And please get it, because you're going to want it and love it. Well, for concert schedules and music, please go to CodyWebCountry.com for the latest information about his Getting Somewhere concert tour, as well as music downloads. That's CodyWebCountry.com. Now, after the show, you can go to Huckabee.tv for an exclusive bonus song. And now, here to perform is Cody Webb. She's never met a stranger in her life. She's a flip-flops and tan lines in the wintertime guy. Soaking up the sunshine On Lake Murray and Santee From Hilton Head to Myrtle Beach And every little island in between She's sweeter than sweet tea A lover and a fighter Wilder than a hurricane 
category fiver Whether she's a Gamecock or a Tiger She's a make you want to stop and stay a wilder Just how God designed her She's Carolina And sometimes she's a little shy But after just a little bit of scupping on wine She ain't holding back a thing She's a, a southern belle tried and true Sometimes I think she hung the crescent moon Right over that palmetto tree She's sweeter than sweet tea A lover and a fighter Wilder than a hurricane A category fiver Whether she's a gamecock or a tiger well, she's a make you want to stop and stay a wilder Just how God designed her She's Carolina Whoa, she's a downright blow your minder Whoa, make your heart stop on a dimer Cause she's sweeter than sweet tea A lover and a fighter Wilder than a hurricane a Category fiver Whether she's a Gamecock or a Tiger Cause she's a make you want to stop and stay a wilder Just how God designed her Carolina Carolina